0: Welcome to the Encounter podcast for today. My name is Leon Thronis and uh, I have special guests with me today. uh, Christian workers who are working in the Middle East. Uh, Don and Betty Orr have uh, uh, been associated with our church and with our movement for a long time and and uh, they are seasoned in their work and I think they have something to say with regard to encountering God in other cultures. So uh, I'm going to uh, Welcome you guys to uh, uh, to Canada, back to canada and and uh, to our podcast today. Uh, how long How long have you been home?
1: Oh, what, three weeks?
0: Three weeks. Uh, what uh, What's nice about being back?
2: Everybody
1: speaks English.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you're usually speaking what? Uh, that's a good question. We have at least five languages prevalent in in the place where we live. Uh, and how many of those do you know? I know English, and that's not the prevalent one. Okay, okay. <laughs> Betty has some, a couple of languages, language and a half.
0: Okay, so you're always pressing on the whole idea of communication. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that must just be so unentangled to be able to just come back and just say what you think, hey.
1: Um, I actually enjoy the challenge of different languages. It's like a puzzle, and and then you don't quite all have the parts, so I actually enjoy that part. But yes, there is something nice about being able to be fully understood. It's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. A puzzle. That's an, it. Because, you know, when you think of being a Christian worker in another culture, that's usually that's one of the huge hurdles is mm-hmm. people are afraid of learning a language, but it's maybe not to be afraid of.
1: There are ways to make it easier. Yeah.
2: One one of our colleagues when we were in Europe said, um, the language is the water that you float your canoe in. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, I, I spent just a short time in West Africa, and it's French. And I found, I went back to my High school French and then I use my hands a lot and I yep. said words I didn't even know yep. and you know I uh, I sort of made myself understood. I didn't starve and you know, I, I never missed a ride So who knows? There you go. Well, uh, it's uh, great to have you here and uh, maybe we can uh, Some some of the listeners will know who, who you are and uh, and some of the listeners may not so uh, Just just in a just in a couple of minutes. Tell us your spiritual story and um, Don, how, how did you come to know Christ? Uh, uh, give us a little bit of that background.
2: I grew up in a very small village, not even out a Hamlet, in southern Manitoba. And a traumatic event when I was 11 prompted me to seek God. Uh, I really had a concern. We had a um, religious class in the school. But the person leading it, he's, uh, I came to him, and he said, God is love. And I said, prove it. I don't sense that love. Mm-hmm. And that caused me to really seek God. Uh, We moved as a family to Alberta and I remember going to an Alliance Church and the lay pastor said, I want you to open your Bible and read with me. And I was like, really? I can read the Bible? Uh And I went home, found this old King James Bible that had never been opened, covered in dust, because we just moved, and I didn't know where to start, so I read the new part. I started reading the Gospel of Matthew. I read it five times in seven days. And the next Sunday I went back to the pastor with 214 questions. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we didn't get very far before I gave my life to Christ.
0: And you're 11.
2: I was 12. Uh, I was 13 at that time.
0: <sighs> you know, how many times in these podcasts have people come to know Jesus around that 12-year-old mark, um, which is when a Jewish boy is bar mitzvah. It's that time when you kind of understand you're self-differentiated. Wow. Wow, uh, were there any uh, any in influences influencers in your spiritual life that you would point to?
2: One of the early pastors in this church was um, Harold Priebe. I'm sure some of your listeners yeah. will know that name, mm-hmm. and, and he discipled me. His office was in the back of the Elks Hall, which was the kitchen divided in half, and he kept a candle on his desk because I remember him in his his down jacket. And whenever he'd open a book, he'd have to heat the spine on the candle. Otherwise it would snap. It was like minus 30 in this <laughs> office. But he took the time to invest in me and uh, he worked overseas. And it's just natural that that, that influence has carried me uh, throughout my life. Oh.
0: So his investment into a kid was a value.
2: It was huge. Wow.
0: Let the listener take note. Betty, how about you? What's what's your story?
1: Well, I basically grew up in church. I think I was there before um, I was very old at all. <laughs> I was probably brought there right <laughs> from the hospital almost. Um, and yet, even as a kid, I remember being terribly afraid of what would happen to me after I died and I was eight years old. And it was through the, through Sunday School that I learned that God had that in mind for me, that He had provided a way for me to be saved through Jesus Christ. And uh, it was just a very natural thing that i did commit my life to christ and uh, then made it my own and made it real as i followed him sometimes up and sometimes down but just through the the path that he led me
0: so so Don Don had a very um uh, had a conversion that was notable were you like that
1: um i guess you could say that yes when i was H, um, my sister told me I was going to hell, so I guess I thought I'd better fix that, so we talked to God about that. Um, But actually, it was, again, that magic age of 12 when I was at camp, and we were praying around a campfire, and depending on what... Uh, religious or what denomination you end up with my experience would be categorized that way Uh, all I knew is when I prayed and I didn't even pray anything in particular it was like the lights went on and something flooded my soul and I knew at that point that I was saved Mm, so mm. people would have different labels for that experience but all I know is that that um, the Holy Spirit and I were on now on speaking terms
0: John Wesley said my heart was strangely warmed
1: that would be it wow
0: wow it's cool uh, so, you, you have served for a number of years as, as full-time Christian workers, um, and uh, often in our movement, we've referred to a, a call, um, a God's call on your life. What's your concept of that? I mean, you've had some kind of call on your life, and you've followed that for a long time. Um, talk to us a little bit about the call.
1: The call. Yeah, that's the thing that kind of keeps you there when things get rough.
2: (laughs) Yes. Um,
1: So I think, and I know, because the Bible says God does everything on purpose. He makes people on purpose with a plan and specially designed for that purpose. And I don't think he keeps it a secret, although sometimes you just have to keep asking him. Mm. And uh, sometimes it's just a strong impression. I knew when I was uh, just after age 12, after that experience, that God did want me to go overseas. And so it was just a matter of following that path. Okay,
0: How, let me back that up. Look, that's a huge step here. How did you know that?
1: Well, I was reading a biography of John Livingston.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And some of it was just kind of the um, actually schoolgirl adventure thing. I wanted to be in the jungle with a machete. Okay, um, okay. But part of that just never went away. And all through life, it was just there. I have a plan for you. It was a knowledge in my spirit uh, oh. that that was god's plan for me and it made me happy
0: it made you happy that was that was uh, my other question was it easy or hard for you to accept that call very easy mm-hmm. and and as you started to work toward that call how did god confirm that call to you
1: um Oh, I met uh, a young man who had that same call.
0: Anybody we know.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Don. Um, And actually, the interesting thing was when we were then called specifically to the part of the world where we're going. Now, going overseas was an easy one, but that was the hard one. And I remember I was sitting on a beach in the Mediterranean, wrestling this out with God, because I was told... uh, that here's an opportunity, would you like to take it? And my heart said, absolutely not. I'm having way too much fun where I am. Uh, So then I told God finally, if you're calling me, I'm willing to go, but you have to make this clear. You have to hit me over the head with a two by four because I need to know for a thousand percent that this is where I'm supposed to be. And he actually did that.
2: We were taking a vision trip to this particular place where we, we, we currently serve. And I remember we went through this valley in the... And,
0: and you were serving in another country at the time. We were serving in another country yeah.
2: and, and seeing God do great yeah, things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember hearing God say, welcome home. And a little bit later, Betty turns to me, their eyes wide, and says, we're going to live here. And I said, I know.
0: Uh, uh, that's pretty profound. It was. Uh, that sense of immediacy with you and God and and His hand on your life and...
1: He doesn't always do that but he knew mm-hmm. that time I needed something like that wow and that's what he did
0: wow wow well bless his name it's good so uh, Don in between in between God's call on your life uh, and you actually entering full-time ministry uh, you took you took some training
2: yeah
0: tell us about that and what was the value of that for you
2: I think The significant thing for me, I received calling when I was 15 and was kind of running from God a little bit, rededicated my life to God and said, okay, I will go to Bible school, be a pastor, even a missionary if that's what you want, but I lack faith. Give me a wife and I'll go to Bible school. And the next day Betty moved to the city where I lived. The next Sunday she came to church. So God (laughs) worked pretty fast. So now I'm committed because I've given my word to God. (laughs) Yes, you have. So we spent a first year of marriage serving in the church where we met, and then we went to Bible school. And I think Kairos explains it well. It says, ministry is like a... Kairos is. Kairos is a program for the average person in your church to understand what God is doing in the world and how we can be a part of that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a good program.
2: And it says that ministry is like an arrow. The Holy Spirit is like the flight, the feathers at the back. It keeps you going straight. The shaft of the arrow is like your character. If you're not a nice person, if you have some things that need to be straightened out, let God straighten them out before you try to get involved in ministry. But the tip is your preparedness to be engaged in ministry. And if you have a dull tip, you're not gonna penetrate whatever it is you're aiming at. And so, biblical training, uh, theology training, being sharpened by being in ministry and having people who are peers and mentors who can help hone you to be sharp means that when you are actually uh, In ministry you're going to be effective
0: oh, That's a great picture uh, And I don't I don't think it needs to be said that God's call is restricted to People who are in a full-time christian work uh, God has a call by his spirit on every believer and i think that whole picture of the arrows are really
2: and, and that's what i like about the catholic they talk about your vocation ah, you mm-hmm. know it's what you're here to do
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, so you you've had profound experiences uh, coming to faith and uh and experiencing god's call in your life uh then meeting each other and realizing god had spoken to you both uh, how exciting now now you've been on the way for some time uh, let's talk a bit about encountering God uh, Don uh, n- n- now in your work I mean, sometimes when we're new Christians God does amazing things to build our faith but then as our faith grows sometimes it's not as easy um talk to us now about the- how God speaks to you now um Is this a regular thing for you? Does he speak once in a while? Talk about God's voice to you.
2: I think God speaks to us in different ways and like any relationship the more you invest in the relationship the more you're going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're married and you don't have anything to do with your spouse, you don't talk to that person, uh, communication is difficult and misunderstood. The more time you spend with the person you understand and uh, sometimes you speak without words. You just know what the other person's thinking. Um, With God, often we're led by, I'm led by God speaking through godly men and women around me. Hmm. Um, The leaders that I serve under, uh, and I'm grateful to serve under them because I see God working in their lives. But I've also had times when God has spoken uh, almost audibly to me. And once was when I was 12, I remember coming back from church uh, Christmas Eve. Walking over the snow and the clouds were low and the streetlights were kind of bouncing off the snow and the, it was like daytime. And I remember God saying, I love you and I have a plan for you. Sounds like something Bill Bright would write. Wow. But I heard this voice and my aunt and uncle asked if I would, they would give me a ride home. I said, no, I don't know what this is. I didn't know God at this time, but I wanted more of whatever this was that I heard. Hmm. And most recently last summer, um, I was on a walk about about 12.30 at night behind the police station, and I'm talking to my dad, who was quite concerned about our safety living where we're living, and I see this man cross the street, and I say, oh, hang on, Dad. Um, this guy's coming over. He probably wants a light for a cigarette. Oh, never mind. He's got a pistol in his hand. He's got a, he's got a handgun. And right there, God told me, don't worry, it's not loaded. And this sense of complete calm... Uh, my dad was concerned, but I had no rise in adrenaline. My heart rate did not increase. This guy comes to me with the gun. He's 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 cocking and pulling the trigger in this this um this pistol, and then uh, I can see the magazine in his hand, and there's no bullets. And it was God saying, "It's not loaded." <sighs> huh. and, and to me, that was that was definitely God.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, now, w- w- the, the main way that the Spirit uses, it seems, is His Word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Betty, tell us a little bit about your, your devotional life, your, your private life with God. What, what are the habits that you employ? What works for you? Uh, how do you? How do you do your devotions? How often do you do them? That kind of thing.
1: Yeah, we all are told and we know in our hearts that it's very important to spend that time with God. And uh, earlier in my life, I was not that consistent. But um, as time went on, it is a feature of my day this Mm. morning mornings when Mm. I read God's word and I love reading his word. But what I found that I really needed to develop better was my prayer life because I could spend lots of time reading the word but Prayer, I just wanted to go deeper and so I actually got a hold of a book uh, called spiritual disciplines handbook it's by Adele Ailberg Calhoun and they have all kinds of creative ideas on disciplines that you can develop to develop your prayer life and I picked one and it was called fixed hour prayer and what they suggested they do kind of like Daniel you set your alarm on your clock and I have my alarm set for 2.30 and 9.30 and sometimes that drives Don nuts, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, so, and it's, it's almost like a reflection of what happens with the majority religion where they are, where you have the calls to prayer five times a day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it becomes just, uh, I wanted to not just have my prayer time in the morning, but I wanted to think about um, communicating with God, with Jesus, all day abiding in Christ. So at those times when my alarm goes off uh, in the morning I will have read something and I have the privilege of being able to read it in different languages because it gives you a very mm-hmm. fresh feel mm-hmm. you if you don't have that privilege uh, you can read it in different versions too mm-hmm. that works mm-hmm. and it gives a really fresh look at it and then I pick out a keyword or something from that for example today's reading it was in Zechariah and it was. Return to the Lord and I he will return to you and he will return with mercy And so I've been thinking about mercy today at those times when my alarm goes off and maybe in between uh, I just think about God's mercy for me and how I can show mercy to other people Mm -hmm. and uh, It actually enriched my life so that I'm not just doing prayer, but I am actually living Mm -hmm. a little bit better i'm still working on it a lot but it it helps
0: and you don't have to do the same thing all the time not at all uh yeah uh listener i hope i hope that you'll glean things from this and uh it will help you in your own devotional and prayer life there's lots of ideas and and uh, i will include some of these resources on my next uh blog and you can uh you can follow up on those yourself uh, one of the concepts that uh, we talk about a lot is walking in the Spirit, uh, and uh, Don has alluded to it, uh, but Betty, um, can you talk to me about the, the value of the Holy Spirit in your life and, and uh, that whole concept of walking in the Spirit?
1: Yeah, it's... It's like your own private counselor right within your head and mm-hmm. uh, your mm-hmm. heart. And so I, whenever something is not working, I, um, I just ask for advice. Well, what do I do now? And uh, where did I leave my keys? I mean, those are very mundane things. Uh, you can you, uh, the Holy Spirit directs you in these mundane things because anybody who knows me knows that I am constantly looking for things. And it's then all of a sudden. He will say, go look on whatever such place. But it's not just about the mundane. It's about the serious things too, that you have a counselor that will guide you and will show you the way if you have your ears open and if you're willing to listen.
0: Hmm. And that's really who was talking to you about the, uh, about the unloaded gun.
1: Yeah, it was just the, the more
2: time you spend with Christ and recognize his appearance. You know, I think there's something to be said for when you're in over your head and you don't know what you're doing. You rely on God a little bit more uh, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I think in North America we're so used to doing it on our own strength we're not attuned to listen to the Spirit guiding and prompting us hmm, hmm.
0: yeah good now I'd like to shift our thoughts a little bit uh, and and get into uh, what you are involved in as uh, Christian workers so You've served as a pastoral couple in Canada, haven't you?
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so you've been you've been there, but you've you've also worked in two very different cultures subsequent to that. Um, Don, what are some like? Are we are we really that different, or or are we more the same? What are what are some common spiritual needs that you've seen? What what have you seen in in these three cultural contexts that is transferable about? about uh, Jesus and the Christian walk?
2: I think uh, no matter where we are, uh, life, we have different, different uh, cultures and we do things differently, we dress differently. Um, we, we, uh, you know, some of us walk, some of us drive. Those kind of things are different. But we all have this desire for acceptance, this need to be accepted. And we all long for hope. I don't think any of us have a life that's perfect. We're always hoping for something better. And I think we find that in Jesus. Uh, we all have, the, you know, God-sized hole in our life. We, we try to fill that whatever's lacking in our lives with whatever we can. It could be sports. It could be sex. It could be um, food. It could be all kinds of different things to fill this need we have to be loved and accepted for who we are. And that's the same in all the cultures we are part of. And I think the big thing that, that we've had people say is, ask the questions, why am I here? Oh,
0: yes. Meaning.
2: Meaning in life. And that can only be answered through God, through Jesus. Oh.
0: So when you go to other cultures to work, uh, you know some of the core things to address in people's life and, and uh, to bring entrance of Christ into, into, into those kinds of things. Um so betty uh, different cultures uh, will view jesus mm-hmm. in different ways uh and um what do the what do what do these cultures find attractive about jesus what do they find intimidating about jesus or repulsive about jesus mm-hmm. you know we we get down to the man right uh it's not just a religious system it's 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 following as a disciple of the man uh tell us a little bit about what you found
1: well, my neighbors from the menor- majority religion, they love Jesus. Um, my neighbor was over in my house and in my over my keyboard I have this giant painting of Jesus that, that I did. And she looked at it and she said, oh, that's Jesus. We love him. He's a great prophet. So there is respect and love for him as well. Uh, however, the, they see him as being sinless and that he, yeah and that he is from God, from Allah, and that he went back to heaven, and that he is coming again, but that he is not God, and he is not the son of God. They cringe when you they hear anything, they'll change the subject, it's almost like blasphemy, they don't want to hear that. But as a prophet, they love him, and they love his to read and study about his miracles. So there is an entrance point right there. Uh. Uh, there's another religion, religious group that we have in touch with. And it's a little bit different, and they have a more ethereal view of Jesus. He is known as, uh, how do you say that? Do you remember?
2: Isa Nur.
1: Isa Nur. Um, he's he's the prophet of light, and so it's it's like he's kind of hazy. It's it's not really a person and nothing like how we understand Jesus. But there is a positive reception. It's of the name of Jesus and respect.
0: What did you find in the previous culture you worked in? What was their view?
1: Um, their view? Ah, Don, you wanna do that?
2: It's interesting because they would accept Jesus as the son of God, but they felt uh, inadequate to approach him, so they would always go through his mother. Oh, okay,
0: okay. (laughs) Whom the majority religion that you work among also reveres now is his mother um to
1: a certain point to a certain point yes
0: she's in the book she's in the book (laughs) book. (laughs) wow wow Um, as always it comes down to jesus christ doesn't it Uh, so um let me just uh have you think betty about uh the people that you work among what is their concept of god as father I'm, i'm talking about encountering the father these days uh, and encouraging uh, our people to seek new um, new touch points with the father Uh, how do the people you work among how would they view god as father what would their picture of god be
1: it would not necessarily be that of father Um, it would be uh, someone uh, a being not someone a being who is holy and uh, to be loved and to be respected and to be revered, uh, the word father wouldn't really come into it at all. That is way too human for, for them. Um, uh, I do have some people just really want to just do their duty and, and uh, keep Him happy. For others, they have a very uh, love based relationship with God and it comes out of love that He loves them. Uh, but the two friends that I'm thinking of that specifically do that, they have act- had actually had a great deal of contact with Christ followers in their life, and so I'm wondering if they were influenced by that. But many others, it's um, it's a duty, and God is all powerful. But the idea of fatherhood isn't necessarily there.
0: You know, even even. Christians in the West, if we could get that concept that He is Father, okay. that's a big concept. Okay. Uh, okay, so so the little the little evil imp of COVID has has uh, been the monkey wrench in the cogs for almost two years, and uh, you've been you've been overseas during that time. Um, Don, can you comment a little bit about uh, the impact of COVID? Uh, both positive and negative, on your work and um, on the people that you work among?
2: Well, COVID gave us a rest uh, right when we needed it. That was great. For, for the first month, that was nice. Uh, then it got a little monotonous. But I think that worldwide, uh, the effect of COVID on the church has been something that has been universal. Mm. Our churches were closed. Mm-hmm. Um And we couldn't meet. And now that we're open, not everybody has returned. Mm -hmm. Um, For some, this time away has drawn people closer to God, finding um, strength in the scripture, spending time in prayer, when there was not a a community to be a part of. People began looking for God on their own and finding Him. Uh, For others, they have moved away from God because they've lacked that community. And I think that we, where we serve, we have the same extremities and divergence of opinions that you have here. Mm-hmm. Mask, not mask, vaccine, not vaccine. It's all a plot by, it's a persecution of the church. We've heard all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet has made those international um, rallying points. And, uh, but we don't have the political overtones where we are. And so they're opinions, but they're not um, things that separate us to such a point that we cannot gather together. Oh. Uh,
0: did, you, uh, did the churches uh, in your area go online with services, or did they just not meet?
2: So, um, one of our churches in the capital of our region uh, went online, uh, our church did not. And they would do a Zoom prayer meeting oh. uh, once a week but that took a few months to kick in. There mm-hmm. was this understanding at the beginning, uh, like this was just going to be a short little thing. Uh, and it it, procre- it it became larger and larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were actually had the benefit because we meet Sunday nights, and with the time difference, the church here was Sunday night, so we would <laughs> tune in live and <laughs> listen uh, to a Canadian broadcast when we would normally be in church anyway. <laughs> you know, I... I, I
0: I think that the jury is still out as to what the what effect this will have on the worldwide church. Uh, you know, I I've vacillated wildly uh, with with uh, hope and despair uh, for the future of the church as a result, and I guess we just have to wait and see.
2: And the church has faced difficult things in the past. Oh yes, mm-hmm. and and you know we can take cur- take comfort that uh, there's always been and there always will be the remnant. There mm-hmm. always will be as bad as it gets. There will be the faithful, and the church will survive. Yeah. The gates of hell will not prevail against it.
0: Preach it, brother. Uh, so let me just uh, focus in on the culture that you're working with right now. Um, what things in the culture that you're working with prevents people from coming to Christ? Um, I think Betty has alluded a little bit.
2: So one of the things you need to where we live, we actually have Christians. Uh, people don't recognize that. Uh, Christians mm-hmm. have been in the Middle East before they were ever in North America <laughs> yeah, or Europe. Uh, that's just <laughs> where it started yeah. was, in, is, was in the Middle East. And, but for many of the people who claim to be Christian in our area, it is an ethnic identity. And mm. same with the other religious groups that are around us. And so one of the biggest uh, things that prevents people from coming to Christ is Cultural resistance and family. Okay. Because uh, if you look in the scriptures in the New Testament, you read through the Book of Acts, the Philippian jailer and his household, Lydia and her household. It is a communal, uh, more of a community of family rather than individual decisions like we have in the West. And so when you make a decision to follow Christ, you are actually shaming your family. Because that is not what you've traditionally done, and you're breaking away. And, you know, it would be like somebody saying that um, in your family, saying that they are going to uh, change their their gender and they're going to live with a dog because they think they're a dog. Uh, you know, just, we can't conceive it, and it, it shocks us, and, and we say, we don't have any part of that. That's what happens when you accept Christ in our culture, the cultures around us, because of the family and the cultural resistance to, to oh. change. Um,
0: Carol and I were traveling in Asia and, uh, and had a good uh, day-long tour with, with uh, a fellow, and uh, he talked to us about, about how uh, religion is a family-based, and when, when your parents die, you tend their shrine, and you tend the bed that their spirits sleep in. And mm. if you become a Christian, then you no longer do that. Yes. And they say, now do you hate us? You're not going to take care of us after we die? It's a, it's a real impediment.
2: It is, and it's interesting where we are. We get more oh, pushback from the organized church, the traditional churches that have been in existence for thousands-plus years. Uh, the Christian churches? Yes, to evangelical movement in our community. They see that as a bigger threat than the majority religion around us <laughs>
0: why is that
2: because we're shaking the traditions and the the ways of the parents we're saying relationship with jesus is more important than doing the rituals and the things that you always do the fasts <laughs> and and the the religious um rights wow
0: so you're kind of doing you're kind of doing gospel work among people who aren't christian but also among people who are christian religious yeah
2: and the nice thing about going against doing it with religious the christian religious is it's not illegal where we are to do that (laughs) yeah
0: wow so so then um do you do you feel then that your work uh is going to uh be slow one-on-one in conversion or do you see a day when it will be family and community conversion? What, what's your thought there?
2: We have dreams and prayers that it will be communal. And when we look at speaking into these cultures and sharing the gospel, we, I lie awake some nights and wonder, what would a church look like in this particular culture? It doesn't have to look North American. It shouldn't look North American. No. But what would their church look like if they were to start it from the ground up? and in a communal, based, family-based, um, quite possibly. I think the moving of the Holy Spirit is what it's going to take for anybody to come to Christ yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus says he's giving the Spirit who will convict us of sin. And uh, we see people having dreams and visions. That happens where we are, um, many times. And we have seen people praying and giving their lives to Christ. Uh, in in just amazing ways and where we are making a commitment to follow christ is a commitment Mm. with significant ramifications
0: okay i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to that in a couple of minutes but but uh i want to ask on the other hand because there are some things that are detriments to to coming into relationship with christ but are there any uh any entrance points from your from the culture you work with Betty that that make it reasonable for people to consider Christ
1: there are and scripture is one of them so uh, there is a great deal of respect for any holy book it is considered to have been corrupted over time and yet it has great value um, and People, uh, for example, it was trans. The New Testament was translated into my particular dialect that I learned, uh, and it was just finished. We were at the ceremony, and New Testaments were given away, and now I am actually involved in a Bible study, and we are we are following uh, creation to Christ. Just stories, mm-hmm. we go through mm-hmm. them, and we study them. and And my friends, there are three young women. And me and another worker that has had a relationship with those three young women for a lot of years. And it's just been, they just love to read the stories of the prophets that they're aware and know about these prophets. And love to, and in fact, we were reading the story of when Lazarus was raised from the dead. And they didn't know how it ended. And so they were li- reading the story because they'd never heard the story before. And they're going, okay, this this is really sad. This guy dies. And then Jesus goes to the grave. And when we read that he was raised from the dead, they just about fell out of their chairs. It was just <laughs> really,
0: really
1: <laughs> uh, So scripture is big. Um, compassion and relief and development kind of work is okay. huge. Yeah. yeah, So our pastor, uh, when there were many people who were displaced and ended up in tents and they had... Um, it's cold in the winter and there's no heat heaters, there's no propane and there's nothing to cook with and not much to eat and he would go around and bring food and propane and then he never just only did that then he would sit down and tell stories (laughs) and sometimes he would tell the same story for example the good samaritan and he would tell the same story every time he came and expand on it and their ears are opened and and they were saying there was nobody helping us just you and so the integrity and the compassionate acts of believers um of christ followers speaks well it is a touch point is a way and any relationship you
0: have, I think there was a fire there that we were involved in some relief work. Is that not right? And there was a fire. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that exciting? Uh, you know, I love the I love the thought of story. You know, everybody has a story, and there are so many stories through the scriptures, and people relate to the stories. Uh, we could we could poke around on that a little bit, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk to us about. Encounters with God that you're observing, and you alluded to it, Don. Maybe you can give us a give us a story of an encounter with God.
2: Well, um, our local pastor has encouraged us to to learn uh, the Arabic language, and then when I travel with him, he speaks different languages. He knows five languages. It's not Arabic. I say, why am I learning this language? You don't (laughs) speak when you're in ministry. Uh, But you know, it's interesting. He'll He'll mention, I'll see him say the number three, and I'll have his fingers up, and I'll understand, I'll hear the word, the way. Oh, so it's the way, the truth, the life. I get the context, Mm -hmm. but most of the time when he's sharing the gospel, I'm just praying uh, because (laughs) I'm not following all of the conversation. Um, But I remember being called, he called me one day and said, can you come to the church tonight? This is Tuesday uh, at 7 o'clock. Okay, so I go to the church at 7 o'clock, and he's not in the office, he's down in the sanctuary. And uh, there's a young man there, probably mid-twenties, and a young woman. And they're already engaged in a session of prayer. And the, the pastor is talking to this woman and trying to get her to say the name Jesus. And she's tiny. And her boyfriend is holding her back with all he can, and she is foaming at the mouth and she is growling and she is unable to say the name Jesus Until with an hour an hour and 15 minutes of prayer and Calling on Jesus to save this woman and to release this demon within her. She was able to call on the name Jesus and She has not missed a Sunday and she you know when when I get to preach you look and if you've ever uh spoken in a church you know that you look at the audience and you find that one or two faces that are tracking with you and they encourage you and whenever you're a little bit uh, nervous you look to them and you just feel this amen mm-hmm. brother mm-hmm. say it preach yeah
0: it. yeah uh she so uh, so congregants when we're preaching look alive all right yeah. that would be really nice okay go ahead Don.
2: so so she's just great and we had another uh a person these were refugees from syria living in our community mm. And uh, he had, they had uh, three children, the fourth child they named George. And they're from the majority religion. And George is a Christian name. Yeah. So the security police came to him and says, what are you doing naming your child George? And he says, It was none of your business. I can name my child, whatever. He was a Christ follower that our pastor led to the Lord a number of years ago. Well, we visited the family and they would come to the church. And uh, I was there when our pastor led his wife. To the Lord and she came with her head covered and um, she gave her life to Jesus and she came to church with her head covered and then eventually the covering came off but the transformation was such that we had originally been talking to the man about don't share the gospel with everyone you're putting yourself in danger well, he backed off, and now his wife is like John the Baptist. Uh, we're having to say, calm down, just relax. Um, uh, and just to see the change yeah. in personality. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, you know, like we mentioned at Thanksgiving, this guy we, we identified as Jonah from Nineveh, uh, the change in his, in his facial expression mm-hmm. and his, mm-hmm. his relationship with his family and with others was such that people take notice. Yeah. And that put him at risk. Yeah.
0: Do you have anybody in mind,
1: Betty? Actually, yeah, I do. Uh, this is not my story. Is one of uh, somebody who's working with a partnering organization, and she works in the health field. And she was visiting a mother who had a twelve-year-old daughter who was sick, and she was asking the Holy Spirit, well, "How, because, how can I bring Christ into this? What can I do?" And she was prompted to tell the story. Of the woman whose 12 year old daughter died and was raised from the dead and she kind of challenged the Holy Spirit on that because she said this girl isn't dead she's sick what, what? but uh, she felt she should do this so she told them the story and after she was finished the mother said to her you know I just had a dream that my daughter had died uh, tell me more about this Jesus and so that was just, oh. just very very Eye-opening to listen to the Holy Spirit.
0: She didn't know, but the Holy Spirit knew. The Holy Spirit knew. Oh, awesome! Well, you know, uh, we're coming down to the end of our time. Uh, uh, I, I, I just think uh, bef- before we uh, close our time, you have such a you have such an interesting perch that you're on because you're, you're in other you're in another culture, but then you come back occasionally and. And, uh, and then you go out again, and so you have that unique, unique vantage point. I, I'm interested to know, Don, what do you see in Western culture as you go back and forth, and what do you see maybe in the Western church as you go back and forth?
2: Well, I think uh, that's a one-sided question, because there are things in the Eastern church we see as well. Um, and so, based on our experience living predominantly in the East, um, I see in the West... There's a preoccupation with comfort. And we focus more on happiness than holiness. There's a sense of, sec- you know, more important to me is security than my servanthood. And, and those are things we just observe in the West. We're coming from a place where your commitment to Christ is going to cost you something. It could cost you your life. Uh, it's certainly going to cost you family relationships. It may cost you your job. It may cost you a lot of the comfort that we seem to look at here as our right and and so that's one thing and and as i alluded to before the fact that here salvation is individual whereas where mm-hmm. we are it's more communal mm-hmm.
0: wow uh, so uh betty what can we because we send christian workers to the to the east which as we were reminded i mean the day of pentecost happened in the middle east you know that's where the church was born. Um, what can we learn from the Eastern Church, Betty? Uh,
1: yeah, we can learn a lot from each other. But one thing that we can learn from the Eastern Church, well, a few things. One is a very strong sense of reverence for God. He is, He is your Father, but He is also holy and to be loved and to be respected and listened to. Um, and there's also a very high value on Scripture there. When you read the scripture, you will usually stand Uh, and and it is uh, books, holy books are treated with respect. And so there is a that makes you think more highly sometimes of scripture and also commitment. Commitment comes at a price, especially our brothers and sisters who come from other um, religions and hear the truth and come to Christ. They're grateful and they're committed and it's not something that they take lightly. It is just a joyful commitment to Jesus.
0: Things that we can learn from each other, hey? Okay, my final question is, uh, is just for the benefit of the listener Uh, and listener, you I mean, this has been this has been really fascinating today. And you may want to follow up on some things that you've heard today. Uh, Don, what are some What are some resources uh, that uh, are helpful to you and listener? I will I will put these uh, on my uh, next weekly blog uh, on our website. You just go on our website to ministries to encounter, and then uh, uh, meeting with the Father, and you will you'll have those uh, resources. So, Don, what are some resources that you would leave There are some books
2: to? that talk about um, you know truth from the Eastern Church that are good. But one that really strikes me as being good to understand is a book called um, Ministry in Honor and Shame Cultures by uh, Jason Georges and Mark um, Baker, I think is his last name. And just understanding that in the West, we have a guilt punishment concept. We don't speed because there's punishment. We'll get a fine. So that, that, that causes us to drive the speed limit. We're afraid of the consequences. Whereas in most of the world, they are honor-shame culture. And so they make decisions based on what will honor their family and what will shame their family. And it has significant differences in how we approach the gospel and how we relate to people because they're motivated differently than we are. And we're taking a class with um, Ray Aldred on First Nations and Indigenous spirituality. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting, something he said last week. Uh, He said, the starting point for us with the gospel is we talk about the fact that you are alienated from God because of sin in your life. He says, in Indigenous spirituality, we start with, it's a wonderful world. They started creation, Genesis 1. We start Genesis 3. And and I think that, um, you know, understanding that it was good, and it's broken, and now how do we regenerate and go back to what was really good?
0: We can unpack that one for a while. Oh yeah. <laughs>
2: All
0: right. Any any other resources?
1: A little bit earlier, I did mention the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. If you're looking for ways to to uh, other ways to um, rejuvenate your walk with Jesus, there's some good ideas in there. The author is Adele Alberg Calhoun. Um, yeah, it's a good one
2: maybe mention a devotional we've been going through the last year called Live Dead Joy, uh, written by a worker in the Middle East. He's been there for 20-plus years. Mm-hmm. And if you want to feel challenged, uh, he often does not pull punches and, and really challenges us to think about, you know, how comfortable we are with Jesus and how we should be engaged in different ways. Okay. Okay.
1: And we actually have copies of that book here. Uh, I think Holly has
0: okay. some copies. Okay, so listener, you can uh, you can look for those on the blog. Well, we've come to the end of our time. This has been uh, delightful. Uh, lots of uh, lots of things to chew on here, uh, and so I want to thank you, listener, for being with us. Uh, my name is Leon Thronus. My guests have been Don and Betty Orr, Christian workers in the Middle East. Thanks for joining us today.